1: The will to act is itself a renewable resource. Hello, and welcome to episode 55 of Climactic. I'm your host today, Mark Spencer. And while I may be at the University of Melbourne right now, in the Parkville campus, in the living pavilion, with the sounds of an oral landscape behind me, surrounded by native grasses and native plants, we're not sticking around Melbourne today. First, we're going out on the road to join Shannon Lonane as he walks to Canberra from North Melbourne to deliver a message of climate action to our MPs. Shannon's previously been a guest on Climactic, and you can find that episode in the show notes and learn why he's doing this walk and what he hopes it'll accomplish. But in the first half of today's episode, Shannon is sending in voice messages from the road, and he expresses the thoughts that have come to him on his long walk for climate action. On the second half of the episode, we go even further afield, to the Volta region of Ghana, West Africa, for an interview with a permaculturist, a regenerative farmer, and the man behind an ecological restoration center. I hope you enjoy today's episode of what could be called the Facebook voice message edition of Climactic. Let's
0: get started and join Shannon on the road. Day three of my extremely long walk for climate action. I'm just on my way to Ye from Flowerdale. Um, this is a lot harder than I thought it would be. Uh, physically it's okay. The feet are doing alright. They're all taped up and in triage. Um, but, yeah, mentally it's quite difficult. There's going to be a lot of cars whipping past because I'm just walking on the, the road between Flowerdale and Ye. Um... Yeah, and I'm also walking in some quite beautiful areas. I walked through a pine plantation yesterday, and it's all very lush bush. Um, some of it quite dry, which is worrisome. Um, and I know that as I wake my way up into New South Wales that it's going to get even drier. Um, something that I have been witnessing a lot of is tremendous amount of roadkill. Um, kangaroos and wombats, birds... Um, as well as a lot of litter, a lot of refuse. There doesn't seem to be a place on Earth where the Coca-Cola corporation can't reach out its tendrils and drop its refuse everywhere. Um, it's got me thinking a lot about the idea of unspoiled nature and whether that still exists in any form. And At the moment, feeling that uh, in the age of the climate emergency, it probably doesn't, which is a very sad thought. Today it's day five. I'm walking from York to Merton in a bit of a snip this morning. I just feel very irritable. Uh, that may have something to do with um, just how long it takes to get ready to go walking and the walking itself. Um, but the object of my irritation this morning is cars. Cars, cars everywhere. They're whipping past me. They're so loud. They stink. I'm walking past roadkill all the time it's rotting on the side of the road beautiful kangaroos and wombats that just stick to high heaven and it's just the whole situation is just very abrasive on the nerves and I mean I don't be, want to be one of those climate activists who's down on all flavours of industrialisation and everything it's brought us because I know that those perspectives aren't really welcome and uh, the pers- perception is that they don't really get us very far, um, but there definitely have been times on this walk, and now is one of those times where it's like, can we get rid of all the cars? Can we at very least electrify them? Can we invest in some some efficient, uh, high-speed rails, some good, clean public transport for everybody to use? oh cars man cars day four and i'm walking from yay to York. Um, last night was really wonderful i had a an arrival event in yay um, at the local uniting church um, uh, the priest pastor i'm not sure what a uniting church has priest or pastor Organized a ton of food and had been advertising the event, and a bunch of people came. People from uh, inside Ye and outside Ye, people traveled from a little distance away to, to see me and to have a chat about the climate emergency, so that was really wonderful. Um, I stayed in uh, the home of one of Murundindi Shire Council's councillors, uh, Beck Bowles, who was really amazing, and her house was beautiful. Felt very well taken care of, and it just um, it was wonderful to have a moment of, of recognising that the community is behind me. Not just sort of feeling it in a vague sense, but seeing it in front of me. It was really heartening and it gave me a, gave me a lot that I needed to sort of, to keep going. Day six, I'm walking from Merton to Euroa, And today's a pretty good day. I feel pretty bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. There's less cars on the roads, despite the fact that there's one passing me right now. But that is an anomaly. Um, I had a really amazing arrival event. Arrival event last night in Merck. And, um, people were really invigorated. They came from all over the Mansfield Shire and beyond. Um, not just to hear me talk, but it was their... Um, the beginning, the launch of the Mansfield Climate Action Group, they sort of used my coming through town as a moment to do that, which was really amazing. Um, And what I was just feeling from people was a real energy um, for climate action and uh, enthusiasm to just get started, um, but a sort of inability to find find the place of attack. Where where am I going to start? What is going to be my niche, my role? Um, and it is really hard when we don't have governments pointing away way for us, um, when they aren't regulating for stronger fuel uh, futures based on renewables. So where do people begin? And I think also something that I'm sensing in this area. Is, um, there's a conventional wisdom that farmers know the land. They've been living here for ages. They have a strong relationship with the land and they can tell you that climate change is or is not happening. So there's a lot of like anecdotal, um, anecdotal evidence for climate change believers and deniers, um, when really neither is very rigorous, even, even when we note that, uh, there's dry, dry weather happening, that doesn't necessarily support a thesis for climate change. Um, so last night I spoke a lot about um, climate change communication and how, how best to be setting the tone for climate change conversations. And we as a group all came to the consensus that really government and industry need to be setting that tone, um, perhaps with the declaration of a climate emergency. So we can just cut through all of the bullshit and just be dealing with the crisis, honestly. Day 7. I've lasted a week I'm walking right now from Bureau to Violet Town. Um, last night I stayed with some great people who organised a bit of a um, dinner out at the pub, which was really nice. Um, are feeling very buoyed by their support um, and also um, quite in awe of their sort of operation they have a home. So they have quite a modest um, solar installation um, and they were telling me that they power 100% and then some of their domestic power needs and actually sell back to the grid and they purchased it at a time when solar was significantly more expensive and that people could be doing the same as them for a fraction of the cost and getting a much bigger solar installation for like a quarter of the cost, which is pretty amazing. And Eurora also has a tonne of um, electric vehicle infrastructure um, from Tesla and from other people, other organisations. So it seems like there's a lot of really exciting things happening there in terms of getting off of fossil fuels and also getting more independence um, from domestic power sources as well as um, this talk of installing a microgrid um, to secure energy sources within the region, which seems like it's a big thing for regional areas. They're also having a lot of trouble with water, so I think the more that they can do to feel as if they're in control of the resources they need to run their lives, uh, the better they feel. And it is interesting that that sentiment seems to be shared by most people within country regional areas Um, But the sentiment that's not shared is that all of these problems are associated very strongly with climate change. Um, It seems like some people have been dissuaded from uh, making that link and from acting in their own interests where it comes to uh, pushing for better climate policy. And I wonder where that messaging is coming from and how we stop it. This is day 10. I'm walking from... Where am I walking from? From Wangarada to uh, Chilton. Um, so I'm heading towards almost my first rest day, um, and almost the halfway point, which is exciting. Um, yesterday was my longest day at 42 kilometres, uh, which is the length of a marathon, which seems like a, or well, feels like a really big achievement, and I'm, I'm proud of myself for that. Um, I've met with some really great people over the past couple of days. Uh, some local councillors, the mayor of Benalla, um, the sort of big-ticket candidate for Indi, the electorate I've been walking through for the most part. I met with her, Helen Haynes, and having having some great conversations about um, both local and national actions. i um, been talking a lot about the declaration of a climate emergency as, as a measure that's really come to mean to me uh, the culture change that we really need to unite a lot of disparate climate actions under the banner of dealing with what is an emergency. I've also had some really fantastic hosts over the past couple of days who've been so, so welcoming. Um, I stayed with a really lovely couple the other day who um, put out fresh pyjamas for me and and I had a bath and then um, I'm vegan and they made vegan lasagna and vegan soup and homemade bread and vegan pancakes in the morning and it was just it was very very hospitable and I was really appreciative Um, but it got me thinking about um, I guess why why I'm seeing this sort of energy and enthusiasm directed towards me and I think the thing about it is that it's not really about me at all, I think people are really desperate for something to to pin their not pin their hopes on but to funnel their funnel their enthusiasm and efforts towards Um, I think people are really aware of the climate crisis I feel they are very dispirited with the lack of direction on the part of governments Um, and that goes for uh, policy that governments are putting out but also signposting as to what individuals can do because I think individuals are very ready to take actions um, but they don't have anyone telling them what to do so at the moment I'm the lucky recipient of that support but I would really love to see governments offer people an avenue for this sort of enthusiasm and, and power so it's all about symbols right? and I think at the moment Um, We're all trying to find a way to push that collective boulder up the hill, which is climate action. And I think in the areas that I'm passing through, uh, we're all getting behind me and this walk and getting me to Canberra as a way of expressing that readiness to push that bigger boulder up the hill, which is tackling the climate emergency.
1: On today's episode of Climactic, we're bringing you the opportunity to earn money while you listen to podcasts. You're probably listening to this episode right now on a podcast app, on your smartphone or tablet, iOS or Android, and whatever podcast app it is you're using. If it's not PodCoin, you're not getting paid to listen. But there's a really good chance that if you're listening to this, you are listening on PodCoin. We've been on the app for nearly a month now. And in that time, we've had 486 listeners spend a total of 1,361 hours listening to Climactic. And when you listen to Climactic, because we're doing this ad, every 10 minutes of listening gets you one and a half PodCoin. And you can redeem this PodCoin for Amazon gift cards or donate it to charity. So check out the app on Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. That's P-O-D-C-O-I-N. PodCoin. Hello, Matthew. It's Mark here from Climactic. And we're doing a bit of an experiment here on Climactic. This is the first time we're doing an interview over Facebook voice messages. So it's going to be kind of, I send you a question, you send me back an answer. So we'll see how this goes. So as I'm sending this message, I'm sitting in my apartment in the suburbs of Melbourne, Australia. Just off the bat, it's uh, 7am where you are now. Can you maybe tell us where you are and what's the scene like?
2: Yeah, hello. This is Matthew. This place is uh, like a a tropical uh, climate. But right now we are heading into the raining season because we have a lot of rain fall yesterday. We are heading into the raining season gradually.
1: Great. So whereabouts in the world are you, Matthew?
2: I am located in the Volta region, Ghana, West Africa.
1: So Ghana, West Africa, okay, I admit I don't know a lot about the region. So can you maybe help me learn a little bit about Ghana and what you're doing there and and what the area is actually like? I'm imagining it's quite agricultural. So if the area is growing a lot of crops, what kind of crops are they growing? And and you said the the rainy season is coming soon and it's quite tropical. What's it really like there on the ground?
2: Ghana is a, a very peaceful country with different languages, culture, tradition, and also with uh, the tropical ecosystems because it's an African country. And also we plant, we grow uh, foods like uh, the cassava, the yams, plantain, the cocoa, and lots of amazing plants here. So it is a very largely agricultural area. I had
1: no idea all those crops grew there. It sounds lovely. So, Matthew, I understand you're not from that area. So when did you move to that region of Ghana, and where are you from originally?
2: Yeah, I'm a Nigerian born, and I've been in Ghana for quite uh, a long time, let's say like five, six years. And uh, I moved uh, to Have volta region in uh, 2016, and uh, till now, I'm, until now, I'm still here. So, sounds like you must like it. That's great. So what took you to
1: Ghana in the first place? Why did you first move there?
2: I moved to Ghana in the first place because of my love for Ghana. I've always been wanting, trying to come to Ghana to to, to see Ghana and also to settle if possible. I had this opportunity with a medical uh, a firm that I, that invited me to Ghana. Then I was working with them as a volunteer for uh uh, medical screening. We traveled from here to there, around Ghana to do medical uh, screening and eye test. That was the fourth time I came to Ghana, and uh, after that I went back to Nigeria and I came back again and like that till now. I'm here in the Volta region.
1: Great, and I'm going to ask you all about what you're doing now in that region of Ghana. Um, I'm going to try to say it. You can please correct me if I get it wrong. The the Volta region or Havolta. Volta, is that somewhat right? Uh, I'm going to ask you all about what you're doing there now, but I just wanted to clarify, you were traveling around with a, a medical non-profit, kind of like uh, Médecins uh, Sans Frontières or Doctors Without Borders. Is it something like that?
2: Yes, it was actually an uh, a non-profit that invited me. And what they do, they are into a medical checkup and also uh, eye screening, eye test. They conduct eye tests for people from... One village to the other village. That's what they do around Ghana. And they are the people that invited me and I was working with them till I later left.
1: Great. That must have been really rewarding but challenging work, I'm sure. But now you're back in the Volta region. What are you doing now? I understand it's not with doing eye checkups and with medicine, but you're working with local farmers and you're working on regenerative agriculture. How did that come about?
2: Yeah, apart from uh, the medical, uh, working with the medical people, I've uh, been working with my uncle back there in Nigeria on his organic farms, and he taught me a lot. I was growing, I grew, uh, learning organic farming from him. Then I met a certain man from uh, Australia who introduced me to permaculture. I went further to learn about permaculture, and today I'm on this project called Matlawi Ecological Project, which I established and the project is all about uh, humans, animals, uh, fruits, vegetables, everything to live happily and peacefully, to coexist peacefully with a well-functioning ecosystem.
1: Wow. So I can't believe an Australian guy was having an impact on you about permaculture in Nigeria and in Ghana. That's amazing. Now, permaculture, of course, is an idea that, that is starting to get more well-known here in Australia, but it's still a alternative thing. It's still not super well-known. It's definitely not... The mainstream. So what's it like over there? Is this like the first instance that you know of in Ghana, at least, of permaculture? Or is there other groups and centers springing up that are embracing the ideals of permaculture? And what's the local reaction to permaculture been like?
2: Permaculture is uh, gradually becoming acceptable and spreading wide. Some people here in Ghana have been practicing permaculture Even before I I, I started doing uh, permaculture here in Ghana, some people have started doing. But permaculture today, I can tell you, that it's gradually spreading and spreading wild in Ghana. Uh, Even before I started doing permaculture here in Ghana, some people, few people have started doing permaculture. And permaculture is something that is very, very uh, uh, good and acceptable. Many people are accepting uh, permaculture. Even today, it's... Spreading spreading wide. I can tell you it's spreading wide because permaculture has a very great approach uh, to everything.
1: Are permaculture principles much different than traditional farming methods, sort of pre-colonization, pre-industrial revolution? Does permaculture more closely resemble what used to be the normal practices in Ghana and Nigeria? Or are there some differences to the permaculture way of thinking about agriculture? that are different from the traditional
2: methods? To me, I would say uh, permaculture is an advanced way of the traditional system.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. That's a good way to put it. Um, Back to your uncle's farm in Nigeria with his organic farming, was there much of an interest among local consumers in buying organics rather than in traditional agriculture products?
2: Yeah, a lot of people, more especially the ones that have the insight and the the understanding about uh, organic food and organic farming, they love to buy, but some people see it as a delay, a delay system. Uh, Why others see it as something that will not spread fast. Why others they really hold on to it and want to consume organic.
1: So the community of people who like organic food and want to buy organic food are quite strong in that opinion. But it's a matter of how big that community is and how widespread that's getting. It, it, at what speed of adoption? So in your time seeing your uncle's farm in Nigeria, how much has his demand grown for his product over the last, say, 10 years?
2: The demand is on a very high side because a lot of people, a lot of people were really patronizing his farm. During my time with him, they really, really, really patronize him. And I would say that the demand was on the high side.
1: I'm really happy to hear that, Matthew. It's really good that people want to do farming the right way with respect and care for the earth are actually getting rewarded by the market for that. That's brilliant. So, how is the journey gone with with Matt Lowey with uh, the center? What, what's it actually properly called? What should I call Matt Lowey? Is it a ecological restoration center? Is it a model farm? Are you training farmers there at the center on how to use prim, uh, permaculture principles?
2: Yeah, Matt Lowey Ecological Regenerative Center. Uh, is a center where we also, we, we, we impact, we make impartation, like uh, uh, we teach, we empower, we, we, we promote peace and culture. We do a lot of work that has to do with uh, permaculture and also regenerative system. Why we added regenerative in the sense that, like, you know, permaculture is something like has to do with sustainable way of living. But uh, regenerative in, is, is more of like a plant that has, uh, the ability or the power to produce a new offspring.
1: So, with regenerative right there in the name, Matthew, you're acknowledging that, of course, a lot of damage has been done to the ecological system, the soil already, through how we've done things for decades through industrial agriculture and really, really bad land management and land use. So how do the climate change aspects start to interact with that?
2: Yeah, I've had the good fortune to take a course on uh, climate uh, change activism with a university from the United States. And uh, in this course, during our practices with uh, our ecological works uh, that is guided by permaculture principles, ethics, design systems, as well as the regenerative system, we are gradually using uh, the opportunity to teach people the damages that we are doing so, uh, that is causing the climate change, and also how they can take actions against climate change. This is what we do, and gradually we move towards it by uh, also trying to mitigate the climate change. That's
1: great. You got to go on that course and learn how to communicate with members of the local community about what changes in the local environment they can actually think, oh, the, this is attributed to climate change, and this is how it's directly affecting us. That's a really good opportunity, and I'm really glad you got to do that. What have the local effects been of climate change? And and for someone like me who's never been to West Africa, what kind of changes are you starting to see to the local climate, to the local sort of growing calendar? I know here in Australia especially, our traditional growing calendars are now all pretty much wrong. Harvesting and planting times are now weeks different than what they were even a few decades ago.
2: We've seen a lot when we talk about climate change. Let me just give one that is very very paramount that the one we always see here is the change in the climate that has to do with the rain, the system for plant, the time for planting and the time for harvesting. It's very very common here. It happens a lot like uh, last year or uh, last year, last two years, when it's supposed to rain during the uh, planting season, it did not rain well. And it affected the crops from growing because many people depend on the weather to the rain uh, to plant because many people don't have water on site. And the people that don't have water on site depend solely on the rain, which I also fall among the people that always depend on rain. And when it doesn't rain at the appropriate time that it's supposed to rain, it affects the, 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 the crops we grow. And also, it also affects the harvesting period. So climate change is real. So I would say declining rainfalls, rising temperatures, and lots more, a whole lot, when you talk about climate change here.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And that sounds really dramatic and and quite dire to people on the ground who are reliant on that rain, especially for, yeah, watering of crops. If it doesn't come when it's meant to, that could mean crop failure. That could mean lack of available produce to sell. Um this is the awkward time in an interview like this where I'm like, I'm I'm really sorry to hear that's happening. And just the act of, of apologizing for climate change, it might sound vague and sound like, well that's just a, a platitude. But um truly this is an issue I think of we're starting to talk a lot more about climate justice and climate equity. Um Ghana of course isn't a highly industrialized or developed nation. Um I'm sure, even in the the capital of, of Accra, there there must be a lot of vehicle traffic, of course, but nothing like the amount of CO two pollution that you'd see in the West. So, how do you feel about that issue of, of climate justice?
2: I feel climate justice is a, 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 an ethical and political issue rather than uh, rather than an environmental uh, uh, issue. That is what I feel. Yeah,
1: you're right. We could talk about it all day through a political lens but that's not going to change the ground truths that rain isn't falling when it has before. And people do need to adapt despite the causes to this new reality. What role is Matt Lowey playing in the fight against climate change in Ghana? And what's the most important thing you think you can be doing?
2: Yeah, what we've been doing is like trying to uh, produce less waste and also uh Trying to help in the aspect of uh, uh, producing clean and uh, 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 healthy uh, energy, and also uh, trying to make, uh, uh, trying to impact, to talk to people about uh, the need for for us to uh, jointly fight uh, climate change.
1: So, in a lot of ways, you're training farmers, you're educating them about not just agricultural practices, but energy and power as well. That's really exciting. Would you say that in Matlaoui, you're kind of being a model farm that other people can adopt the methods you're using to farm and produce energy in a better way? Would you say that's right?
2: Yeah, here at Matlaoui, we are trying to uh, uh, not just uh, teaching people how to farm or doing it uh, just uh, ecological, but we are also trying to teach them how to fight climate change and also model patterns for for industries, uh, uh, farmers, Uh, even some students and things like this, so that we all can have a better planet to live in.
1: Fantastic. So you mentioned power there, and I'm really curious about what that looks like on the farm. Are you uh, doing any forms of power creation on the farm yourself?
2: Presently not, but there is a plan to put that in place. But we've already started teaching that because it's part of our project. Because our project has a lot it carries along. I will just send you a brief list of what our project carries along so that you see uh, what we are doing and what we intend to do.
1: This is a great list, Matthew. This really helps sort of lay out what the scope of the project is. And, man, it is very ambitious. Uh, this will be in the show notes for this episode. But let's talk through maybe some of the the causes of what is sort of how the situation that you've set up, Matt Lowey, to, to resolve and to make better, how some of this situation came about. So we've got, of course, climate change as a foundational problem. We also have deforestation and alarming poverty rate. Uh, segregation. Um, now, for someone like myself who, you know, I'm very lucky. I live in Australia and kind of segregation is a thing I read about, especially in America in the 1960s and, you know, leading to the civil rights movement. Uh, what's the state of segregation in Ghana, and how has that been a factor?
2: Segregation is, is a great uh, factor in the sense that some people they like um, they do like uh, like we call it a, 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 in their own clone like a, a um, what's it called a, a party small small parties here and there, while some people they say oh you are not from their side or you are not from them even when you are trying to bring something good. And they know it's good. Within them, they know it's good. But yet, because you are not from them or because you are not uh, uh, from their own uh, party or from their own place, they try to uh, be a, like a, a certain shifting. Like uh, they try to be, a, a give you a little gap or not uh, wanting you to do some things or not uh, uh, really accepting you to to, to bring uh, some change or some things that you can bring that will create a good change and that will be beneficial for both them and all.
1: Yeah, I think I can understand that problem, Matthew. It's to a much lesser extent, but even here in Australia, we've got a bit of a problem around silos, around groups. I, I I use the term silo, but it's the idea that uh, an idea is only a good idea if it comes from someone you know, someone you trust, someone you're affiliated with. So a good idea is not taken in isolation. It's very much looked at who does the idea come from and, you know, will we accept it be accepted or not. Now, I'm curious when you say parties, is that also, is, is tribes accurate or is that no longer really a factor so much? I, I know that at least in some African nations, you know, tribalism and that sense of yeah, where you're from and who you are matters more than kind of what you do. Is that one of the factors at play there in the Volta region?
2: Yeah, the tribal also tends to go around with this segregation of a thing. It's, it's one of the factors, the tribal thing, yeah, which we are trying to uh, uh, stop through this project. We are trying to carry everyone along and trying to ensure that we really do things not based on uh, a tribe, but based on humanity.
1: Great goal. I'm really happy you're doing that. That's the, definitely the way it needs to go if we're going to move far enough, quick enough on climate change to really avert some pretty terrible stuff happening. I'm personally really curious, and yeah, it's because of my bias here doing this show, but what's kind of like the media like over in Ghana? So has there been much interest in from local news, whether that's the local newspapers or even you know TV shows, radio, in the story of what you're doing there at Lowy? And if not, is there space for this kind of thing of what we're doing here in Climactic, of uh, being a platform for groups to tell their own stories? Uh, do you think there would be much interest in in people hearing these kind of stories?
2: Yeah, presently we've not gotten uh, such opportunity to to, to be like uh, uh, aired by the uh, uh, media. But when it comes to the media, the media has a great role to play Play in the aspect of, in the area of, uh, 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 in the area of uh, climate change, in the area of what we're doing to sensitise people, to let people really know that really what we are doing is impactful. What we are doing has a great role to play in the life of people, in our environment, in everything. So, uh, what you are doing at climatic. It's very, very great. It's a wonderful thing. Interview and all that. Like for others to hear, there are many people that they want to really hear, but they don't know. Maybe they are far off away, but they they want to. They are very they they're interested, but they cannot be reached. Here in Ghana, sometimes for you to have the opportunity to be heard by the media, sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it takes uh, money, if if possible. Sometimes you have to pay, like go on to go on air and all that. And sometimes they may just willingly be interested in your story. Maybe it takes time or sometimes it takes people to know people before you can be heard and all that. So I think what you're doing is very great. It's a great opportunity for us to be heard, for us to be heard, for people to really know what we're doing. So it's very great.
1: Oh, that's very kind of you, Matthew. Thank you for saying that. Hey, Matt Lowey, you're doing something really big and really cool and in an area of the world that... I know myself and my audience, we didn't know a lot about before. So what could this uh, opportunity mean to you? So we're going to obviously be reaching a primarily Australian audience with this interview, Matthew. And I understand that on that list of uh, sort of the the mission and the, the goals of Matt Lowey, uh, that there are a couple needs there at the bottom of the page. And what you need is some eco-friendly and, and, and energy-efficient buildings to be built there. Uh, what else do you need for Matt Lowey to really achieve the mission that you're going for to educate farmers and the community in Ghana on what they can do to combat climate change? What can we possibly do? The Climactic listenership, myself, how can we help, practically, you achieve this mission?
2: Thank you for the opportunity given to us. Yeah, we need uh, eco-friendly buildings to be able to teach people, more people to be able to, uh, 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 keep our tools, uh, to be able to, like, accommodate people. Yeah. We also need a water connection, which someone has already started with the water connection digging, drilling. We've been able to drill the water, but we need, uh, the water tank. We need the water connections for the tap, uh, the pipes and everything. We also need, um, we need, uh, more tools and we need more land. Yeah, that's what we need basically for now. We need more tools. We need more land. We need uh, eco-friendly buildings. We need um, uh, the water tank and uh, some other things for the water connections. So that is what we need basically that will help us uh, to be able to take this project to the next level.
1: That's really exciting because that, that's really uh, achievable and it's not too far off. So practically, are you going to have a crowdfunder, or is there any way that we can kind of contribute to that? from Australia, from our listenership, if anyone like me is really inspired by what you're doing there and uh, the mission you've got for yourself.
2: We could uh, possibly come up uh, with a crowdfunder, but I also say anyone that can help, maybe from near, or far, in and outside Australia or any part of the world, should come up with whatsoever they can help with and help us. We will be so grateful. We will appreciate it. A little counts a lot. It can go a long way to change Things can also go a long way to take us to our next level. So whatsoever we can be helped with uh, from your side, from any part of the world, we really appreciate. Even if it's a crowdfunder, we will very, very much appreciate and use it for the purpose that it has been given.
1: I know you greatly appreciate it, and it would mean so much to me if uh, this show in its own little way could make a difference there to you in Ghana. Thank you so much for all your time, Matthew. I think that will probably wrap it up for us. Um Unless you have any sort of parting thoughts, anything you really do want to share, it's been so great to get to talk to you. And really cool that this this works just through Facebook voice messages. I know that an internet connection was going to be a bit tricky to organize. Yeah, you know, like having a mic on your end wasn't really possible. So easy as this, just sending back and forth Facebook voice messages, you can still manage to do an interview from one side of the world to the other and isn't that pretty amazing
2: i also want to thank you also for giving me the privilege to uh, be here because it's it's not easy and also i'm very happy that it worked here on uh, facebook uh, messenger and it's very nice i enjoyed every minute i spent uh, talking uh, to you uh, based on this interview and i'm very happy Climatic, I want to say a very big thank you for the golden opportunity given to me. And I I know very well that this opportunity will come a long way to, to do a great work, both here and there. And I really appreciate once again. Thank you very much.
1: And thank you for joining us for what turned out to be a very long journey today. We've chewed up the road with Shannon as he's walked further from home every day and closer to the nation's seat of power where he'll be delivering the message for all of us as our representative that we are not happy with their stance on climate change. And we've journeyed to Ghana, to the Volta region, and learned that in this tropical, lush paradise, the effects of climate change are being felt right now. But the people like Matthew are pushing back. They're educating the community. They're learning to adapt, and they're teaching others. If you were inspired by Matthew's story, you can help out. In the show notes, there's a link to his GoFundMe and that will directly help them get the water infrastructure they need to survive in the new reality. We thank you so much for joining us today and look forward to bringing you another episode next week. If you're in Australia and doing work in the lead up to the May 18th election, thank you for all your hard work. And if you're overseas, thanks for tuning in and caring about what's happening down under. I've been your host, Mark Spencer. Thanks for joining me. Keep up the great work and take care of each other. This has been a production of Climactic, a podcast collective helping local communities tell their extraordinary stories. It's our mission to help elevate the voices of the everyday heroes we're surrounded by and inspire, sustain, and motivate the climate community. We love working with local environmental groups, individuals, nonprofits, and social enterprises. So if you've got a story to tell, please just get in touch. The Climactic Collective is Mark Spencer, Rich Bowden, Maxine Baisley, Georgia Scheel, and Bronwyn Gresham. Our producer is Hazel Fidikara. Our digital design is by Rose Fidikara. Our Climactic theme is produced by Greg Drassi, and our logo, designed by Abigail Hawkins. We're also pleased to feature the music of the General Assembly. Thank you for listening to Climactic, the podcast for our climactic times.